0: Well, uh, my name is Josh. Like Nate said, I am the campus life director at Metamore High School for Youth for Christ. And I can't tell you guys how much our partnership with Great Oaks uh, means to what we do in the high school. Um, This is an awesome partnership. And without our partnership with you guys, there are so many things that we do on a weekly basis and sometimes daily basis to reach young people for the name of Jesus that we would not be able to do without partnerships with churches like this. Um, and so what I'm going to do is uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to kind of give you a brief recap of what the summer looked like, um, not just for Youth for Christ, but for uh, the teens um, in this area that we've been uh, trying to reach for the sake of Jesus. And some of those events were done uh, in partnership with Great Oaks, and some of them were not. But I'm just going to give you guys a brief recap of what God has been doing in your community um, over the summer Uh, the the picture you see up on the screen this is one that we did with Great Oaks and it was actually right out here Um, this was an event we called Clubble and what Clubble is is it's like having a club inside of a bubble that's where it gets the name is Clubble Um, and what we did was we took I don't know how many feet of just like construction plastic wrap um, like the stuff we're doing like painting and like walling off areas to keep the dust out and things like that And we spent, I don't know, like three or four hours worth of duct taping um, to duct tape all the seams together. And what you do is you duct tape together an enormous sheet of this plastic wrap uh, and then you lay that as the foundation and then you do another sheet on top of that and then you just go around and tucking the corners underneath the bottoms and then just putting, we use tires, um, just putting weights on different sides so it doesn't like blow away. Uh, And then you go and get a construction like a floor drying fan and you tuck that into one corner and just turn it on, and it blows into this giant bubble. Um, that was that picture was taken as it was slowly deflating because we were done. But uh, I don't know how tall it was in there, but it, it was probably a good 20 feet or so, um, like in the middle. And what we would do in there is we come and everybody enters into the clubble, and then we have an enormous food fight inside the bubble, which is just awesome. Because, I mean, come on, what else are you going to do inside a giant plastic bubble? But... Like chuck food at each other, so we had these buckets uh, filled with different kinds of food. And uh, before we got to that part, we had these buckets that had water balloons in them, but the water balloons were filled with mystery items. You didn't know what was inside the water balloon, so you might get like the mustard balloon, or like the tapioca pudding balloon, or the chocolate syrup balloon, or the ketchup balloon. Ketchup balloon was nasty; it was gross. And what we do is we formed three different circles in there when we played three big games of hot potato. Um, and you'd just be we'd be playing music, and when the music stopped, whoever had the balloon they had to pop it over their head, um, or have the person next to them pop it over their head. Um, and then the game would change; you get to pop it over the person next to you's head. Um, and then the last three rounds is you had to bite it to pop it. So it would just like blam right on your face. It was awful. It was just it was so bad. Um, but then after we played multiple games of that, we had a uh, a margarine hairstyling contest. Um, so you just get a big tub of margarine and three people, and whoever can make a mohawk the fastest with the with the margarine wins. I thought it was great because I didn't have to do it. So it was all right with me. Um, and then after that, uh, we just brought in the buckets of food. And like as soon as the music started, you just had an enormous food fight. There's nothing more satisfying than nailing somebody in the face with a ravioli. <laughs> nothing. You get somebody square in the head with a ravioli, and it's just like, you can just take me now, God. Like this is, I think I've accomplished everything I need to on, on my bucket list. Um, and, uh, we, we there was just some nasty stuff. There was a huge bucket of like Chef Boyardee ravioli. There was a, uh, oh, a whole bucket of sauerkraut. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nothing better than a hot bubble filled with people and sauerkraut flying through the air. It's just great. Um, but we had a really good time with that event, and the purpose of the event wasn't just so we could get nasty um, or that I could throw raviolis at people, although that was fun, or throw bananas covered in queso cheese dip. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know the, the chip dip? Just dip that banana in there and whip it at somebody? That's great. Um, anyways, the purpose was uh, to just introduce the idea to the students uh, of the mess that our life is. Um, when we look over uh, the sin in our lives and the, the things that we do that don't please God, it's kind of like we live in this. We live in a bubble, um, covering our own mess and rubbing our mess off on other people as we come in contact with them. Um, and the illustration was, well, the clubble is the mess of our lives, but when the fireman showed up, uh, he was like Jesus uh, because he came out, turned on his fire hose and washed us clean. Um, And so it was just a really cool illustration to share with the kids what Jesus had exactly done for them Because um, we were nasty I mean we were really truly nasty Um, And a lot of times we don't understand that that's how we We look before a perfect God But thankfully he didn't look at us and go well that's nasty I'm not going near that Um, He said that's bad. I need to get as close to that as possible so that I can save them. And so that was a cool thing we got to do. You can hit the next picture. Um, this was, uh, youth for Christ camp. We took 13 students this year as campers and which students haven't gone as campers for quite some time to youth for Christ camp. Um, great Oaks goes to miracle camp and, uh, Youth for Christ has a, a camp that we go to, and the difference between the two is Youth for Christ camp is more uh, introduction um, to what it means uh, to be a Christian, introduction to Jesus, introduction to all of those basic things. Um, so it's less of a uh, come grow in your faith; it's more of a hey, this is what Christianity is all about. And so we took some students, and this was the uh, this was the girls' cabin that came. One of them looks like a man because she's wearing a Hulk mask, so don't. Don't be confused. Um, Their their, uh, cabin theme was superheroes, and so they got to be uh, superheroes. Some of them didn't know about the theme, and so they just wore whatever they had and stole somebody else's stuff, I think, because that's where the whole class came from. You can get the next picture. Um, This was a trip that we took early in the summer. This was a trip to Oklahoma. Warren down here went with us. It was awesome having Warren there with us. Uh, But when that tornado went through uh, Oklahoma, went through Shawnee and Moore, Oklahoma, uh, about a week after that, uh, we formed a team of 10 guys and we headed down there for uh, um, several days and we camped at a KOA campground and then we just went and worked. And this was the group of guys that went. Um, It was a really awesome trip uh, where the, the students that we got to bring, it was really cool for them to get to see a picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Um, Because we went down there um, in the love of Christ to help and to serve, and we ended up partnering with a little church in a town called Little Axe. It was Little Axe, Oklahoma, and it was the first Baptist church of Little Axe. And we got to partner with these guys and to help the people in their community. Well, while we're helping them, they relentlessly served us the entire time that we were there. Um, the one night that we were there, another tornado came through and a huge hailstorm, and we ended up spending the night in their church with them uh, because we couldn't actually get back to our campground because the road flooded and there was a river on the road, and so it was it was crazy. But we go to their church to stay there, and their church is now the donation center for the whole community. And we get there, and there's a, a lady there uh, named Lily, and all the guys called her mom. And they're like, "Hey, mom, we're gonna stay at your house tonight." And she's like, okay. She's like, you guys need anything? And we're like, no, I think we're good. And she's like, well, okay, well, here's towels, and here's some soap, and here's a little bar of deodorant for each one of you because you guys are smelly. Um, Here's some toothpaste. Um, Come back here to the donations room. We'll get you some dry clothes, and here's some dry pants, and here's some dry socks. And what do you guys want for dinner? We're like, I like this place. (laughs) I'm not leaving here. This is great. Um, Every day that we were out working, uh, this guy here, uh uh-oh, oh, I'm doing something. Did I fix it? Okay. Um, The guy right up there with the big beard, he looks like he's from Duck Dynasty. His name was Greg. Um, He was the coolest dude ever. This guy would drive around to the different neighborhoods while we were working every day with a huge truckload of chicken and biscuits. How are we supposed to get any work done when you're driving around with a truckload of chicken and biscuits? And so I had four guys with my team on the other side of the road from Warren and his guys... And we missed lunch because we were down in a valley working. And so Greg comes by, realizes we don't have lunch, comes back around. And he's like, oh, you guys didn't get lunch? Hold on, I'll go get you some. And he's like, how many of there are you? And we're like, oh, there's just four of us, so four is fine. He's like, one, two, three, four, so ten lunches. (laughs) I'm like, Greg, four. Can you count? And he's like, well, yeah, but you guys are grown men. You need to have at least ten. (laughs) I'm like... Greg, we're trying to work here, right? These honey biscuits you keep bringing us, every honey biscuit I eat, my productivity goes down by a factor of five. Um, but that was the experience that we had with this group, and there were some students that go to Great Oaks that came on that trip, and it was a really awesome experience. You can hit the next slide. This was, um, this was the guy's cabin at Youth for Christ Camp. This was the, our cabin theme was Duck Dynasty. And so, what we did was, we just dressed up in a whole bunch of hunting stuff. Um, I hunt and fish a lot, so I had all this stuff at my house. And so I just brought this enormous duffel bag. And so you can't see in this picture, but four of the guys um, were wearing, like, waders, like the whole deal, waders. It was really hot wearing waders out in the summertime. But I also brought a pop-up duck blind that fits in a backpack. And so when we walked out into the field to do our theme day, we just, like, whipped out the duck blind and popped up a duck blind in the middle of the game field and put decoys out in front of it, and we crammed all eight of us inside of the duck blind and just sat there and obnoxiously blew duck calls at everybody. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Every time somebody would, like, try to, like, tell the instructions for the game, we'd just be like, meow, 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 meow. It was It was awesome. Um, but uh, just a quick recap of what Youth for Christ camp was. Uh, our goal with Youth for Christ camp was to bring students to camp that normally... Uh, Wouldn't be around things like that, Um, and so we got a great opportunity to bring students there to hear about Jesus. And there were two students, um, a guy student and a girl student, that gave their lives to Christ. uh, That had been uh, just a really cool experience to see them come to Christ. And we had five students, those two included, that asked to be baptized um, uh, in the Chesapeake Bay because the camp we go to is in Maryland. And so they asked to be baptized uh, during that camp experience, but. The reason why that was so cool was because um, these students, uh, when they come somewhere and they see God's people um, loving each other the way that they should, and they're moved to ask to be baptized, um, especially as a high school student, that is a huge thing, because it's kind of nerve-wracking. When you go to get baptized, you're terrified, you're like... I don't know if I want to do this. This is really nervous. And the coolest thing that happened there was, as the students were being baptized, you dunk them in the water, and they have this look of, they're almost shaking. They're so nervous. But the second they go in the water and they come back out, all of that is gone. And they just have this huge grin on their face. And they're like, ah, what? And the coolest part about all of that is we had students standing on the beach that did not know Christ and had not given their lives to Christ yet. And they're watching these students Experience this new life in Christ. They've given their life to Christ, and now they're making that public proclamation. And they come out of that water; and it's just like they—they they look like new creations coming out of the water because so they go in like, and they come out, you know. And everybody on the beach is just exploding in cheers and just going crazy for them. And they're just like, "I belong to something. I belong to something greater." Um, and it was just an awesome experience to be able to share that. Um, With uh, There were a few students from Great Oaks that came with to to be a part of that experience. And so I just wanted to share all that with you guys to thank you um, for the part that you play in leading students to Jesus Christ. Um, There's two students that uh, you'll see in heaven someday um, because of the efforts that are going on in this community, because of the support um, that folks like you provide. So thank you for that. Um, We greatly appreciate that. And I don't know if there's another picture or not. I can't remember how many pictures they gave you. But no? Okay. So we're going to dig into the Bible. I know it's shocking. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can get it out. If you don't, you should go buy one or borrow one or get one or download one on your, you know, your electronical things because um, they're free. So if you're like, oh, well, Bibles are expensive. I can't get one you have a smartphone, you just hit install. That's it. I know. You have to hit two buttons. It's hard. But get a Bible. Um, That's helpful. That will help you a lot. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 19. Um, And you can hit, I think, the next slide. Yes, there it is. Ooh, look at that. We get the background of the Duck Dynasty. Oh, no, it's gone. Okay. Um, So if you don't have one, you can read it off the screen. We're going to read through this. And then we're going to figure out what God would have to say to us. Um, But before we do, I'm going to pray really quickly um, to ask that the Lord would share what he would have shared um, and that my biases would not come into place. Lord God, we pray over um, this time this morning as we come here to worship you. We come here to learn about you and we come here to discover what it means to follow a righteous God um, and what it means to live out our faith and gratefulness and thankfulness for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we read through this, Lord, we pray that your heart would be revealed and that your Holy Spirit would be moving in this room um, and in this community, and that uh, any words that I would say that are not from you, um, that they would be quickly forgotten. Um, But all the words that are from you, Lord, that you would seal them upon the hearts of the people here and upon my heart as well. In your name, amen. So we're going to read through this. So pretend we're having story time um, at your house. Uh, Close your eyes. Just close them real quick. And pretend like you're, we're having story time in front of the campfire, all right? I know you have a campfire in your living room, weird, but that's all right, okay? Now you can open your eyes. What were you, what were you doing around your campfire? I was drinking hot chocolate. Just wondering what popped into your head. Anyways, uh, then the man Lot said, uh, or then the man said to Lot, um, and when the context for this is God has decided that he's going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he is sent um, two angels, and the parents of men, to take Lot out of the city, and Lot is the nephew of Abraham, um, who was the father of uh, the Hebrew people of the Israelites. And so uh, Lot is in this living in Sodom, and God sends these two angels to remove Lot and his family from Sodom before it gets destroyed. So that's what's happening right now. So the men said to Lot, have, have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, So as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "'Up, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city.' But he lingered. And so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, "'Escape for your life and do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. "'Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away.' And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and as it is a little one, let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And then my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken, escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called called Zoar. Now the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And when the Lord reigned, uh, then the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And the Lord overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Um, A lot of you guys have heard that story before. It's kind of become the infamous story of Sodom and Gomorrah and God's judgment upon it. And a lot of people uh, like to speculate um, why that happened and why all that went down. We're not going to go into that today. What we're going to talk about is how does this directly apply to you and your walk with God? Um, And what parallels can you draw between what happened there in Lot's life and what might be going on currently in your life? Um, So the first point that we're going to get to is are you slow to listen and act upon what God is telling you? Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, um, but the angels came and told them they needed to get out, and they lingered. Um, that was one of the first things I noticed when I when I read through this. Um, so my question to you would be, are there places in your life, in your walk with God, where you're lingering, where you should not? And when I ask that question, I'm asking that question of myself as well because I know there are places in my life where I tend to linger where I should not. Um, Why do you think Lot and his family, in the face of certain destruction, lingered in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, My thoughts are that they lingered there because uh, their hearts had been been inclined um, towards the sinful tendencies in those places. There were things of the world that were drawing them to that place, and they were reluctant to let them go. So, are you slow to listen and to act upon what God is telling you? I know that I am. I know that there are many times in my life where I know God's telling me something, and I'm like, okay, all right, so I hear what you're saying, but could you make it a little more clear? Okay, I get that. Could you make it a little bit more clear? Um, You can't get much more clear than angels dragging you out of your house. And so what God's telling us here is, listen, when I ask you to do something, I mean it. Don't make me have to resort to dragging you out of the house because there are some times where I will just leave you, where I will just leave you to sit in your sin. The Bible tells us that. There's no worse place to be than to be turned over um, to the the lifestyle or sin that you've chosen to follow. And my question to myself when I read through this is, man, alive, God, how many times have I lingered? And you said, Josh, get out. And I lingered. And I said, well, hold on. I'm not, I don't think it's time yet. And he's like, I know when it's time. You need to get out. So I would challenge you this morning as you think through this, and as you're looking at Lot and going, Lot, you're such an idiot. How did you not leave that place? What's wrong with you? I would challenge you to look at your life and say, I think I'm talking to myself. I might be lingering where I should not, and I might be ignoring what God is telling me because the sin of my life has not deafened, but deadened and dulled the sound of God's voice in my life. Because what sin does is it takes the urgency out of what God is telling you. And it turns it into a suggestion. We saw that in the the Garden of Eden. (laughs) When, When the snake was deceiving Eve. He's like, oh, did God really tell you that? What sin does is it takes what God has told you and it softens it. It's like, ah, it's more of a suggestion. Well, Being drug out of your house by angels, less of a suggestion. And yet, as Lot is being dragged out of his house, they get into the valley. And what does he do? The angels say, get out of here, head to the mountains. Okay, how about this? Instead of the mountains, how about you just send me over to that little town? Can I have that? Is that all right? Just let me hold back this one little area, this one little town in this area. Can I have that one? And the name of the town is Zoar, which means little place. And to me, that's a reflection of my life. Of me, God telling me, Josh, this is something you need to turn away from And get as far away from it as possible. And I start going as far away from it as possible. I'm like. "Eh." Can I go halfway? Can can I hold back something for myself? Can I hold back a little something? It's just a little something. It's not that big a deal. What are the Zoars in your life? That's point number two. Uh, What are the little places in your life that you're unwilling to turn over to God? Um, I know some in my heart that are difficult for me to turn over to God. But if you have a Zohar in your life, be warned. You can't hold back little places from the Lord. Because if you do, it'll lead to destruction because it will become the big place in your heart. I mean, we see that because they go to this little place. And what does Lot's wife do? Her heart is still so tied to the place that they came from that even as they they get the little place, God gives them a concession and says, "Okay, you can stay at this little town." Instead of following the direction that I've given you, and what does she do? She turns and she looks back. And she's turned to a pillar of salt. How many of you look back upon things in your life that God has called you away from? How many times have I looked back on a place that God called me out of? A sin, a lifestyle, whatever it was that He called me out of. And I look back. And I might take a step towards that. I might take another step towards that. I don't know what they are. Um, but I'm willing to bet that uh, there's a good number of people here in this room that have Zoars in their life. That God is asking, I want you to give complete control over to me and to listen to me fully. Don't reason with me. Don't rationalize with me. If I tell you to go to the mountains, just go to the mountains. It's not because I hate you, it's because I love you. That brings us to our second scripture, and that is Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to read through this, and I'm just, just whatever pops into your head is probably what God's trying to tell you at this moment as I read this. And it says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it's saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You see, when you hold little places in your life and you can't detach yourself from the sin in your life and it entangles you, that's how you lose your saltiness. That is how you lose your ability to be the light and the salt in the earth for people that do not know God. The parallel here that jumps out immediately is, well, what happened to Lot's wife? She became a pillar of salt. Ironic? I don't think so. Circumstance? I think not. Because she became a pillar of salt that was useful to no one. Good for nothing but to be sitting on the ground to be trampled by men. But why? Because she saw where God was asking her to go, and she turned back towards that which He saved her out. So I'm not telling you guys this because I want you to sit and wallow in your sin. I'm telling you because I want you to understand that the way that you can live the fullest life in Jesus Christ and to be a true light and salt of the earth is that when God calls you out of places and out of sin, that the way that you lose your saltiness is when you just you turn back and you allow that sin to be a part of your life. God didn't call Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he was unhappy with them. He did it because he loved them and he cared about them and he wanted to save them out of it. Um, So I would challenge you in this place. Do you feel like you have no impact in the body of Christ? Do you feel like you've lost your saltiness? Do you feel like the light that you carry in the name of Jesus is really dim. And if you do, there's a fairly good chance that's because there's areas of your life that you once turned over to God and you're turning back to. Or there's areas in your life that you've never turned over to God that you should have. Um, And point number three is this. Uh, What kind of salt are you? Which one are you right now? Are you the salt that no one would use? Because they're like, yeah, that salt's pretty much useless. Are you that person in your workplace? Are you that person in your marriage? Are you that person in your family? Are you that person in this church? Are you the salt that people look at and they're like, man, I want some of that. Whatever it is that they have. I want some. Whatever it is that they have, I want some. I think that's God's heart for us. Um, And this is how we do that. I'm not going to leave you guys without a solution, but I want you guys to understand and know this is how we do that. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this. um, It's verse 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. Um, sorry, in your struggle against sin you have not resi- yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Um, In order to keep your saltiness, you have to follow closely the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because the closer you follow Jesus in your life, the easier it will be for you to cast off the sin that easily entangles you. The sin in the place where Lot and his wife lived, was so entangling that they barely made it out alive. And they had to be dragged out and forced out. And lots of sons-in-laws, they didn't even make it because they didn't take what God was saying seriously. And I'm not challenging you to cause you to, like I said, to feel bummed out. I'm challenging you because I know that life on this side Of the mountains, (laughs) life in the mountains where you're supposed to go, is filled with a freedom and a hope and a joy and a love that is unimaginable. But life here in Zohar is miserable. Because part of you is looking back here and part of you is still thinking about going to the mountains. And you can't make up your mind. Revelation calls this, I think, being lukewarm. I hate things that are lukewarm. Especially milk, because that's nasty. But if you're that person, I would challenge you to sit down and have a talk with your God. And ask Him where the areas are that He's been talking to you that you've been missing. And this is where we're going to end right here because I thought I would help you guys understand the heart of God behind this story because this is just mind-blowing. When you understand this entire city was destroyed, Lot escapes barely, his wife doesn't make it, and they still hold back a place for themselves and do not fully surrender to God. You're thinking, what was the point of the story? What was God trying to prove? And what is going to come out of all of this? What was the point in saving Lot? He turned out to be a bum anyways. You know, he went and lived in the stupid little town. You know, his wife got turned to salt. Like, why save these guys? What is their purpose? Well, this is how the story ends. Lot eventually ends up going to the mountains because he lives in Zoar, and he starts to fear for his life because he's like, okay, I'm pretty sure these people are not so happy that I was the only one that survived Sodom, and they're probably going to think it's my fault because it was my God that destroyed it. So he became fearful, and he decides to go live in the mountains. But he doesn't really go to the mountains. He goes and lives in a cave. All right? So talk about losing your saltiness. You want to lose your saltiness? Go become a hermit and live in a cave. And then you'll see how many people you lead to Jesus Christ. Right? Well, I'm going to go take my lamp and do what? Put it under a bushel. Bad idea. Well, he had made those choices in his life, and now he's living in a cave with his two daughters, and he has no sons and no one to carry on the family name. And his daughters say, hey, we don't have any husbands because our husbands got burned or our our husbands got burned alive in the city and we don't have anyone to carry on our family name so let's, I got a great idea, what we're going to do is we're going to get dad drunk in the cave and then we're going to sleep with him and then we'll get pregnant man this whole not listening to what God tells you turns out great doesn't it now you got inbreeding in the mountains well they do that and they both get pregnant from their dead to carry on the family name. The oldest daughter, she had a son. Her son's name was Moab. And we're going to tell you what that means at the next slide. So Moab was the firstborn of the oldest daughter by lot, the whole weird thing, right? Well, Moab became the father of the Moabites, okay? And he ended up with his own nation, Um, Called the Moabites and there was a land called Moab. Moab was a place where Naomi if you remember who she is She was the mother of Ruth uh, Mother-in-law of Ruth Naomi and her family go there during a time of famine in Israel and they go to Moab To sojourn there All right Well, while they're there Her husband dies and her sons die and she ends up with two daughter-in-laws and she does not know what to do with them One of them decides to stay the other comes back with her to Israel the one that came back with her was Ruth Ruth was a Moabite woman. She becomes Naomi's daughter. And then Ruth, when she comes back to Israel, marries a man named Boaz, who was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. So Ruth and Boaz get married, and they have a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David. And David became the greatest king that Israel had besides his son Solomon. But where does that go? Well, if you follow the house and the line of David, you end at Jesus. God is the greatest Redeemer that the world has ever known. Anybody that can take Sodom and Gomorrah, an unbelieving, slow-to-listen man named Lot, who moves to the mountains and lives in a cave and his family line is only carried on because of incest and sin and brings about the salvation of the world through that as a God that can take anything that's going on in your life and redeem it. If that doesn't bring hope to you, I don't know what will. Because when I look back over my life and I see all the things that God has forgiven me of and redeemed me out of, wow. Wow. He doesn't do it because He hates you. He calls you from those places because He loves you. loves you a lot. See what I did there? A lot? Yeah. yeah it. <laughs> Somebody just woke up. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, whoa, what did he say? I want you guys to grasp this. Um, because what we're doing in this community to teach young people how God feels about them and what he thinks about them. If I'm living in Zoar in my life and I go to these kids and I tell them how much God loves them, But my saltiness is gone. Then the kingdom of God's going to go nowhere. So the question for you is: Do you want to be salty? And if you do, I challenge you when you go home to reread this and ask that the Lord would show you. Um, Show you how he wants to use you. Because it's totally worth it. Even though it seems like a pain to go to the mountains. The mountains rock. They really do. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing some stuff. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.